So I'm going to ask you to bear with me this morning as I, <laughs> uh, I think I'll be okay without glasses, um, uh, but uh, I'll do the best I can. So um, if you would, the subject for today that we're going to be talking about, so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to start. And in Luke chapter 6, near the end of the chapter, Scripture that I'm sure is, is familiar for most and for all of us. But it's near, the, it's near the end. It's the last three verses is what we're going to be looking at. But the life-changing, and I want to start with my intro, is that the life-changing power of our Lord and Savior is the most amazing and powerful process that changes lives. It restores families, fixes the brokenness of mankind and sin that often comes along with it. And oftentimes the world offers complex plans that cost you money and or subscriptions. Just take this pill. Just listen to the, my 10-part study. Just listen to my 10 easy steps. No, I promise you, financial independence is right around the corner. I promise you. Don't worry about it. Live like me. There's very few people that actually let you see the other side of their life to whether or not you don't know if they're telling you the truth. <laughs> Although I will say something about Dave Ramsey. I uh, had a friend that you just shared something with me. It was really interesting, you know, because he does his Financial Peace University. Kind of give you an idea, right, of what we're talking about. He went down and listened to him, went and saw him in person. Dave Ramsey is anti-credit card like you wouldn't believe. If you've ever done any of his studies, he's like anti-credit card. But he's a capitalist. Make no mistake about it, but he is a Christian. And so you go to one of his seminars and one of his teachings, and guess what he doesn't? He absolutely refuses to process credit card payments. You cannot pay with credit card. You talk about walking your talk, right? You go to one of those things, and it's like, well, what do you mean? You know, no, he doesn't do credit cards. He doesn't need it. And so those are the kind of things that you think about. You go, hmm, that's an interesting process. And his is a biblical approach to money. They offer you life-changing results with five easy steps. There's another one, right? A lot of times there's different. It runs the whole gamut. You can look at it. You can go, you, you can look at it and they go, man, it's this complex, convoluted problem. Let me tell you how this is going to all be done. And then you got on the other end of the spectrum, somebody's sitting down and they're breaking you down. It's five easy, easy, five easy steps. These are the five easy steps that you need to do. And we all engage in all, all kinds of programs and initiatives. And as long as, you know, as long as we treat them as such, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. It's not the end of the world if we all do those things. There was a time when preachers would stand up, you can't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do all these. That's a naive approach, in my opinion. You're going to be doing stuff like that. We're all going to be doing stuff like that. The premise that I approach these things is just use a little common sense. Base it off of, a, base it off of the Bible. What does the Word of God say? Can you trace it back to what the Word of God says? Is it, if it's biblical in nature, if it has a foundation, which is what we're going to be getting to here in just a few moments, that you can go... This moves me and progresses me in my faith. Then do it. 
Try it. No harm, no foul. But if you can't run it through a simple filter, right, where you go, yeah, I don't know if this is a biblical. Matter of fact, some of those teachings, if you pay close attention to them, are actually anti-biblical. Depends on what we're talking about. That's a broad brush statement. But you just, as you weather those things, as you approach those things, use that as your guidance. We should be all looking at those things and, and, and be very wary of something that says something overly dramatic, life changing. Listen, folks, there's only one thing that changes lives, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't forget it. Sure, there are great things out there. I'm not saying that they aren't. Sure, there are great programs, there are great things, and great things that we find ourselves involved in. We're going to do them. They're all going to be present. They're all, we're all going to have those kinds of things. But none of them, none of them are bigger than Jesus Christ. None of them. No diet, no financial plan, no long-term this, no, no none of this, none of that. None of those things matter if you don't have Jesus. They don't. Even if you amass a certain amount of wealth in your life, you're going to leave it behind for somebody else to fight over. You can't take it with you. Treat them as such and you'll be fine. As Christians, we must remember that the bedrock of our existence and the purpose is Jesus Christ. Mankind was created, I like this, mankind was created in the image of God. And we are to be his representation during our stay here on earth. Hmm. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. Man is a triune being. You look at families, same thing. You break it down in the family structure. There's a husband, there's a wife, and then there's children. Representative of the Trinity. Oh, it's almost like he planned that. Because he did. <laughs> The bedrock of our very existence is our Lord and Savior. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 47, it says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug, uh, dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And the, when the flood occurred, the torrent burnt against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burns against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. A lot of times we'll take this scripture and rightfully so. Could this be our, you know, our life's mantra? Could it be our life's objective to, 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 to say, hey, my bedrock is Jesus Christ? It could, right? And it should. But also what makes up our life are all the little things and all those little decisions that we make and all those little, you know, certain things that we, the, the decisions that we make in our families and in our homes based upon this premise. 
I try not to do this very often. I've only done it well, probably one other time, but to say to you that this has been the most challenging time in my family's existence would be an understatement to you. But one of the things that we have tried to do together as a family, one of the things that I've tried to do as a husband in my household is to not just teach my kids what the word of God says, but to live it. When it's easier to sit at home and get upset, when it's easier to duck off and hide and say, why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to my wife? We've done nothing wrong. You get up and you go to church. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the bedrock and foundation of my family. And he should be the bedrock and foundation of your family too. Not because I think it's a great idea. Not because it's just good advice. Because there is, there, is, there is redemption in Jesus. There is hope in him. And there is hope in our Savior. There is, there is progress to be made. There are things to be done for his kingdom and for his purpose. You know, you think about it. There's one thing that I've learned is the perspective that I've gained is that you, you look at this and you go, it's easy to tell somebody to hang in there when you're not going through the struggle. But when you're going through the struggle, it's a whole lot harder to hang in there. It's a whole lot more of a challenge when you go, I don't know. And some of you may be, you don't have to go be going through the same situation or circumstance that we find ourselves in, that, that our family is in. And I'm not looking for pity. That's not my, my reason for saying that is, is that you really gain, there's something that I've gained in this whole process. I wouldn't change it for the world. And it has renewed my perspective on life. It has renewed my perspective on my ministry. The scripture that says in 2 Corinthians, it says that his power is perfected in our weakness. You only come to understand what that says by being brought to your knees and you have absolutely nothing else that you can do. He tells us in verse 47 in that same chapter, in Luke chapter 6, he says, Every one of you comes to me, and here's the wordsman, and acts on them. In other words, it requires action on our part, does it not? The objective is not to objectify my wife in this regard and these things. I share these things with you is that I want you all to understand that it's been purposeful. It's been intentful that we continue to show up to church. It's been purposeful and intentful. You don't want to know the first thing I wanted to do when this happened? I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit. Because there's a part of me that thought to myself, this is unfair. 
But then you rationalize and you think to yourself, ah, that's not the answer. That's not the right answer. And some of you sitting out there, depending on the challenge that you're facing, you will have that same kind of internal dialogue too. What is your first, when things get tough, when things become a challenge, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to quit. Isn't it? We want to quit. Use this as a pattern. Use this as an example that it all, the, the, the challenge that you look at here in verse 48, verse 48, he says, I want you to act on these things. Verse 47. Verse 48, he says, it's like a man building his house who dug deep, uh, dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood cur uh, occurred and the torrent, it's not if the flood came, it's not if the torrents came, it's when they came. The same flood and the same torrent came to both examples. Both men, both homes, both structures. The floods came to both of them. To the one that was strong and had a deep foundation and a foundation and the bedrock that was Jesus Christ. To that man... It was a testimony of how well his home and his foundation was built. To the man that was unprepared, to the family that was unprepared, to the church that was unprepared, it became the defining moment that brought the entire structure to the ground. The same storm, the same torrents. Oh, wait a second. How's that? What do how do we weather? See, Christianity and serving God is not about whether or not you're going to have challenges. We are going to have challenges. There are going to be struggles. I just mentioned ours. You have your own. Plenty of us have had struggles throughout the years. I'm not trivializing ours, but all I'm saying is, is you got to put that in its rightful place. Everybody has struggles. My struggle doesn't outweigh yours. Our struggle doesn't outweigh yours. But the recipe and the blueprints is given to us. It says, no, 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 no. The testimony and the bedrock, whether or not Jesus is the bedrock of our home, is that we're, a, we're able to withstand the torrents and the struggles of this life because they will come and they do come. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ gives you the ability to withstand those things. There's plenty of preachers out there that teach you just trust in Jesus. And if you, all you ever hear is feel good messages, this is what happens to you. You get this like a strange occurrence when something bad happens to you. Go, why? Why did God allow this to happen to me? He never said you wouldn't experience bad things. What he's taught us through his word is that when those bad things come, you will not be shaken. You will be steadfast. You will have an anchor. You will have something that holds you still in the midst of a storm. It's not a five easy step process. There's no subscription that's required for this. 
You put your faith in Jesus Christ. He does the rest. He does the rest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but were made manifest to God, and I hope that it were not made manifest also in our consciences. We are not again committing ourselves to you that but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that we, so they who live might live no longer might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. verse 14, he says that the, the love of Christ controls us. That one died for all. The second point that we're talking about today is the first one is our, our foundation check. That's that first Luke chapter 6. Our second one was answer the call and live life anew. says in verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. Nothing in this world offers you that ability. Nothing. Except for Jesus Christ. The answer is always simple. Put your faith in the Lord. Put him first. What does his word say? What does he teach us? How do we demonstrate it? How do we live it? How do we put it into practice? The struggle no longer becomes the definition, right? That we encounter. The struggle becomes your testimony. The struggle becomes the very thing that people admire you for, and it's not an easy road to achieve that. In that occurrence, what must be bigger in the struggle and in the storm is our Lord and Savior. He must be bigger. His name must be glorified. His spirit must be manifested in our lives. Shown to be true. Shown to be evident. Shown to be prevalent. 
Because without them, we can't do it by ourselves. It's, a, it's just impossible. In Acts chapter 2, go back and read in this book, this whole chapter is a, it's a beautiful chapter in verse 37 it says now when they heard this they were pierced to the heart and Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren what shall we do and Peter said to them repent and each of you be baptized in the name of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. That must be the resounding message in our lives. That must be the resounding message in our church. Be saved from this perverse generation. He tells them there, he says, repent and be baptized. You know, well, there's a lot of Anabaptist brethren in, in the past where they, you know, there, there were, they, there's some of them that were accused of rebaptizing, right? Now, having done this for a while, I see why they did that. <laughs> Sometimes we can get so far off the, back, off the path and so lost in, in the things that we do and we don't realize how far away from God we've become. One of the things that's important for us, as it says there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, is that, that to repent and be baptized. And you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. Sometimes we sit in here, some, you know, I don't know if you're anything like me, you've gone to church, and I have to harken back to the days when I first started going to church. There's, man, there's some weeks that I was an outright sinner, and I did not feel like I belonged even in sitting in, in the pew with anybody next to me because I, I knew the things that I had done and, and the, the th what I had been engaged in. No, you're in exactly the right place. Because we serve a God that forgives sins. We have a Lord and Savior that wipes the slate clean. He gives us the opportunity to repent. There's an initial repentance that every sinner must make. And admitting to who God is and wanting to serve him. But there's also a continual repentance that you good old crusty missionary Baptist got to do too. Right? Or us, old crusty uh, missionary Baptist, got to do. What do you mean? Well, as long as we struggle with this flesh and sin, this will cause us problems. There are times and moments in our life where, guess what? You can be just as ungodly as the world. Wait a second. He just said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, 
be saved from this perverse generation. Well, what happens to sometimes good Christians is we get out of sorts with God. We start living a different lifestyle. And guess what we start doing? We start acting like the world again. We revert back to our physical, normal physical condition. We, we go back to it. Don't we? Listen, how many of you have ever struggled? Maybe this is too much of a, of a statement for you, but you know what I mean? You haven't prayed in a couple of days, haven't read your word in a couple of days, you stub your toe, first thing out of your mouth is, pray for me, brother, right? No, it's probably, you're this close to saying a cuss word. Now, normally you wouldn't say a cuss word, but you haven't been reading, you haven't been studying, you haven't drawn closer to the Lord at all. And suddenly those cuss words and those things that those fleshly desires and those fleshly things, they're closer to the surface than they were before. Why? Because we haven't actively taken a role to try and minimize those things and combat that nature that resides within all of us. First John chapter one Somebody say, well, I don't ever have that problem. Well, you're better than me. And I mean that wholeheartedly because I found oftentimes if I don't pray before lunch, I'm already apologizing to people for some of the things that I've said and done. First John chapter one and verse eight says, if we say that we have no sin, oh, wait, you know. We are deceiving ourselves. Oh, yeah. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, righteous uh, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I want to share a real simple scale with you on this, okay? This is taken from observation and in real life. I've been around a little while and I've heard from more than one people, one person. Someone say once, today I stand before you sinless. I have not sinned yet. Right? You're like, wait, hold on a second. This scripture came to my mind, right? And I'm like, hey, have you read 1 John chapter 1? Because the way I understand that scripture... I don't think that's the right attitude to have. But then the other side of that scale is what? That's pretty extreme. The other side of that scale is you never do anything wrong and don't worry about it. You don't have to ever repent from anything that you've ever done. Well, now, hold on a second. Hey, well, which one is it? Somewhere in between all that, right? There are days and periods and times that we don't sin. Actively. But because we struggle with this flesh and its nature, we will forever struggle with it as long as there is air in our lungs. <laughs> That's the way it works. Good news is we're all in it together. We are. We're all in that same struggle together. 
But he gives us, he gives the, the, the unknowing, the, un, the unknowledgeable of who Jesus Christ is. He gives that, that person that comes and says, who, who's this Jesus? I want to learn more about him. Then you realize, hey, I'm a sinner. I need to clean up my life. He says, repent and be saved from this perverse generation. And then once you come in here, we, then that, that's great. You, you commit yourself to the Lord. And then after that, guess what happens? Well, as a good missionary Baptist or as a good Baptist or a good Christian, time goes by and you mess up. He gives us the opportunity to go before him and ask for forgiveness. Don't operate under the premise that just because you go through those baptismal waters or just because you put your faith in him that you'll never sin again. Don't operate under the premise that because you have sinned that you're worthless. You understand? You want me to repeat that? Just because you have sinned does not make you worthless. That's the enemy that creeps in and begins to mess with your mind. Because the, the best thing that he would want for you is to stay in that state where you feel unworthy of the repentance and the forgiveness of sin that is freely given to you by your Lord and Savior. He'd rather keep you in the dark. He'd rather keep you in a position to where you feel you don't deserve it. None of us deserve it, but all of us have access to it. And praise God for that. The fourth point is, is ask him to cleanse our heart. You know, when you talk about that, I thought of when I when I was talking about that it, 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 or putting this together is the 51st Psalm is a scripture that that David wrote, of course. King David. And it, it's a scripture that is <clears throat> one of the reasons I love King David so much is because I'll say this before I say the next thing is that because he's a lot like Peter in the New Testament. Peter Peter did things, man, you're like, I can't believe he did that. And the Lord had, he told him, get thee behind me, Satan, right? You're like, whoo, man, that was a sharp rebuke. And then there's other times, man, he, when, 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 the same, when Jesus came back after his ascension, or before his ascension, I'm sorry, and, but after his, his uh, uh, death, burial, and resurrection, remember, he was in the boat fishing, and Jesus was on the shore, and Peter, man, he just bailed off the boat and swam to him, and came out on the water and did all those things. David, you look at the, the, the miraculous story of David and the things that David did, you're like, man, I want to be like David. And then you read about him and Bathsheba, you're like, I don't want to be like David today. Not, not, not that David. I want to be like the David and Goliath David, not the David and Bathsheba. You know. So with that, you come a, a very uh, clear image, I think, of a man who tried to do well but had struggles with his flesh. <laughs> so for all the, the miracles and all the wonderful things that David did, which he did some very amazing things, him and the Lord, one of the things that he gave us was something on how to repent too. So with that rise that you get with him, this, wow, man, look at what he did. You also go, oh, I can't believe he did this. But out of that comes the 51st Psalm. 
The 51st Psalm, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are not justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make known wisdom. Make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain with me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the righteous sacrifices and the burnt offering and the whole burnt offering, the young bulls that you offered on your altar. He tells them there in verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me in your loving kindness. He asks them to blot out my transgression. To blot out my sin. To blot out the thing that I did wrong. Blot it out. Please take it from me. He asked the Lord in verse 10, he says, to create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. Funny how a steadfast spirit ties to a firm foundation, doesn't it? You see, the... the I love this scripture because the 51st Psalm, you look at it, it's really, really important. There's a couple things here. One of the things that's really important is not the fact that you look, does David suffer the consequences of his actions? He absolutely does. He suffers those consequences. However, when it's time for him to get it right and repent, he does it. And that's hard sometimes for us to understand that. David is a, is a real life. This psalm is a real life example. He, he slept with another man's wife. He caused him to become, he murdered him. He lied, he cheated, he lied, he cheated, he stole. You name it, he did it all. He did everything that you could ever imagine that you're not supposed to do. One, as a, as a, a godly appointed king, as a Christian, as a God-fearing man. He did everything that you're not supposed to do. He did it all. 
He messed up. But on the same token, he says, when it all came to his realization, when he began to understand what he did, he petitioned God. He said, oh boy, I messed up. It took Nathan, obviously coming through and, and explaining things to him. So he gives us a pattern and an example for all of us to follow is that when we mess up, the point of the matter is not to not to lose lose sight of the fact and to zero in on the fact that you messed up. Understand what it is that you messed up and sin and transgression and all those things. But the point of it is, is that you turn to God to fix it. You turn to the Lord to restore you. You turn to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I need your help. I messed up. I tried to do it again on my own. And this is the result. That doesn't mean there's not consequences that go along with that. Okay? Doesn't mean that we still don't suffer some of those things that you look at and go, he, the sword never left David's house. But God didn't turn his back on him. And that's very comforting. And it's truly amazing that when you look at that, you go, oh, you see, we think it is something strange when challenges come our way as though we did something wrong. And I don't understand sometimes the sovereignty of God and why he allows some things and some things he does and doesn't. It's not for me to decide nor to understand those things, nor is it for any of us. But you sit back and go, but you know what? He's given us the tools that when we mess up to get right. He's given us examples. The 51st Psalm is an example of what it sounds like to repent. Poetically, I mean, it's, I would say it's very poetic, but that's what it sounds like. But it's a testimony, too, that you look at it and go, that's what a firm foundation looks like. You go, ah, oh, I messed up. I did something wrong. Something big in that case. So he hit his knees. He sought the Lord. We are given the opportunity to do that. Now, sister, I didn't check with you. Is it okay if you come forward? To... Okay. I know I was asking Sister Kayla. But as the pianist comes forward, the things to think about as we have this invitation, this opportunity. And you may be sitting out there thinking to myself, I, look, I don't know. And if you think I know what you did last night or what you did this week, I don't know. I have my own worries in life. I have my own family. I don't have x-ray vision. Nobody has tipped me off to what you did last night. Okay. I'm just randomly pointing. I don't know any of that stuff. I know what I've been doing, and I know that even the struggles that I have, I have to petition the Lord on a day-in and day-out basis. And some of us may be sitting out there, I don't even know what, it, what it's like to, to truly submit to the Lord, to give my life over to Him. Now's your opportunity, as we sing. Thank you.